Bienvenidos a la Chicana Mother Work Podcast. This is Cecilia, Christine, Judy, Yvette, Michelle from the Chicana Mother Work Collective. We are a collective of Chicana, PhD, mother scholars, artists, and activists. The Chicana Mother Work Podcast aims to create a communal space for dialogue that sheds light on how the labor of mothering can be a transformative act within academia and beyond. Porque sin madres no hay revolución. Chicana Mother Work is intergenerational. Chicana Mother Work means carving space. Chicana Mother Work means healing ourselves. Chicana Mother Work is an imaginary. Chicana Mother Work makes our labor visible. Our labor is our prayer. Our mothering is our offering. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Chicana Mother Work podcast. Today, it's uh, Ceci and Yvette. And we're doing an update on our podcast, um, Women of Color Healing from Intergenerational Trauma and uh, Autoimmune Disease. So we recorded the episode a while ago. So now we have um, updates. We have more um, experiences and wisdom. And we just want to uh, share what has happened since then, because even that just seems so long ago now. <laughs> it does, yeah. And it's one of our most popular episodes, so we're happy just to kind of give the update, and we'll probably have even a part three. But uh, we'll just jump right in now with um, Yvette, who is going to share about um, um, updates on her experience with um, chronic illness and depression um, and being a mom and woman of color um, in academic spaces. All right. Uh, so... The, I guess I want to share a little bit more about where I was uh, this time last year and where I am now. So even just, yeah, just a year ago, I was, so I suffer from a condition called colitis. It's a form of irritable bowel disease that means that I experience a lot of stomach aches, cramping, digestive issues, pain and discomfort, using the restroom a lot. It's, it's very uncomfortable. And I've been experiencing it since 2011. So that was uh, my second year of grad school when, when it really hit me. And it was, it, at the time, I thought it was uh, post-infectious IBS. That's what, the, that's what the doctor referred to it because it was as a result of um, getting really sick during a three-month stay in Chiapas, and my stomach was never the same after that. But of course, the stress of grad school didn't help. Um, and so this time last year, you know, I'm working a full-time job. I work as the assistant director of the UCSB McNair program, and I've been I had been struggling with um, morning morning illness. I don't want to say morning sickness because then you're going to think I'm pregnant. Uh, but just uh, every morning experiencing uh, lightheadedness and nausea, stomach ache, cramping, using the restroom, just very uncomfortable, and also feeling really down. Like, I don't want anybody to talk to me when I'm in pain. I want to people to stay away, and I'm having to go to the office, show up at, you know, 7.30, 8 a.m. in pain. I'm, like, keeping my door ajar because I... I don't want people to see me in this discomfort. And then obviously I have to run back and forth to the restroom. And I realized I was like, I have to do something about this. This is not sustainable. Uh, it's every day. I've got to go to work. I'm, I'm a full-time employee. What do I do? And so last year was my year of, 
um, healing. That was like my word for the year. I was like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do, make whatever dietary and um, exercise and um, mental health changes I need to, to prioritize my healing. And so I started, um, even back in 2000, it was 2017 or 18. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking out now. I think it was 2017 I went vegan uh, or mostly like plant-based. I guess I'm not 100% vegan. And that was helping for a while, but then but then it wasn't. So I like, it worked. I was very excited. And then all of a sudden I found myself having um, more uh, symptoms again. And so I was like, okay, clearly this diet is not helping enough. Now what? And then it was, it was last year that I followed... I follow a lot of different Instagram accounts and I've tried it's to like, make all it's like free therapy, <laughs> free therapy. I'm just like, uh, yes, please. Yeah. So I've been following multiple different Insta Instagram accounts and I ran into this actual, this doctor, medical doctor, her name is Brooke Goldner and she's offer and she's, she was offering like free webinars to learn about her hyper nourishing smoothies. And I had been back and forth like, maybe trying smoothies, maybe here and there trying to juice, but never consistent. And I was like, what makes her smoothies different? And so I decided to try it out. And her smoothies, she calls them hyper nourishing. It's like three quarters of a blender of any kind of greens of your choice. And then the rest of that, like the 25% that's left is um, any fruit of your choice. And then you have to put omega-3s, so either flax seeds or chia seeds. And she recommends one fourth cup. And so I was like, okay, let me try it. What's the worst that can happen? It'll just make me go more. I already go. So it's not going to make, you know, it's not going to be that different from my daily experience. So I tried it out <laughs> and it helped a lot. It was, it's weird. Like, um, not only did it help with like reducing my stomach uh, symptoms and my pain, but also with my like energy levels and mental health. So I've noticed that I've had fewer flare ups. It's not like, I wouldn't say it's um, completely eliminated my chronic illness. Like, it's not like, oh, I drink enough smoothie. Now I can stop drinking smoothie and I'm done and I can like live a normal life. Like I'm always going to live with this chronic illness, but it's helped me maintain it. Actually, to this day, I drink daily smoothies. So that's one of the things I did last year. I also started going to, to see an acupuncturist uh, one to two times a week. And it helped, but I, I would say... It wasn't a huge noticeable difference for me. I just noticed I felt much more relaxed after my sessions. And I haven't kept them up because I did it for a few months and then I stopped because it was too expensive. It was one of those, it was, even though it was a sliding scale fee, they were charging me 25 to $50 a session. Twice a week, that's a lot. It, would just, it, was, it was too much for me to, to maintain. Uh, but it did help. To some extent, I wouldn't say it was like a game changer the way that the smoothies were. And so that's why I haven't kept it up. But every now and then I know where to go and I can go back if I feel like I, I need that extra form of relaxation. Uh, so that has helped too. And then the other thing I started doing was going back to therapy. I had been struggling with, um, with finding a woman of color therapist in my area in Santa Barbara. It's so hard to find, but I got really lucky after contact. Well, actually, this is how I got started. I was interested in 
forming a mother of color support group on campus. I noticed there was a mother support group for grad students, but it wasn't available to staff or faculty. So I reached out to a program on campus called Academic and Staff, okay, Academic Staff Assistance Program. And, and I didn't even know that they had staff psychiatrists there, but I reached out and I said, oh, is there any way that like, we could start a mother of color support group. I know there's a huge need on campus. I've already reached out to other moms. Here's a list of people who are interested. And they had a new uh, staff uh, therapist and she is Latina and a mom of two kids and was very excited about it. She was like, yes, let's do it. You know, I'm, I'm gonna have my maternity, but as soon as I get back, let's follow up. And so we were able to, to get a mother of color support group started and that started, when was it? Last, in the fall, so uh, October 2019. And it, w it went very well, so well that this quarter, there's actually three uh, support groups and they've extended it to just mother support groups too. And now they're thinking of doing a faculty support group and a support group for fathers, because they were interested too. And so I've been doing that and also reached out to that same therapist to see if she provided individual therapy and she was available, so um, so I've been able to like consistently kind of go to therapy on a biweekly basis. I've got a weekly support group. I've been meditating more, um, doing guided meditations. I'm I'm still like mostly eating plant based, very I would say high raw, but I still eat some cooked meals here and there because I just I don't think I can ever be that strict with myself. Um, it's hard. Um, so I understand if everybody gets intimidated with even trying to go plant-based, I understand that intimidation. So that's why I just do a little at a time, whatever I can do. And that's helped me out a lot. So right now I'm doing much better. My mental health has been much better because when the sicker I feel, the more depressed I feel. And the better I feel, the, the more it you know, improves my mental health. So my mental health has been kind of, have been able to manage it. I've been able to manage my symptoms for the most part. And it's through a combination of like putting myself first, prioritizing myself and my health and that I know that's hard to do. It's taken me so many years. It's since 2011 to prioritize myself. So that's my update. And, and I want to open it up to Ceci because I know she has an update on her autoimmune condition and it's a positive update. So <laughs> yeah, well, before we get there, I'm, I am also interested and wanting to ask you, because just being your friend for the last 10 years, <laughs> I actually, I remember when, when you went to your, your research trip, to, um, and I remember exactly, because I think you had a blog at the time, or about your trip, and I remember um, I would go and read your updates and what you were doing and your experience, and then I very distinctly remember when you came back and your um, condition, your illness was really triggered after that. So I do distinct, distinctly remember that. And then I think the other thing is maybe um, if you want to share, you know, what does it mean to navigate chronic illness um, in academic spaces um, oh. as a PhD student, but also now um, as a, um, a as staff working for McNair at, at an institution like UC Santa Barbara, um, because I know we probably have a lot of listeners who are either PhD students or faculty, women of color, mothers of color, because 
you're healing this relationship with yourself, but you also mm-hmm. have work demands, you know, mothering, uh, relationships, friendships, um, on top of just all of your other goals. Uh, yeah. so how do you do, how do you navigate that in academia? And I'm thinking particularly for people who have, um, invisible disabilities because when people meet you they would not imagine or even understand how sometimes you you're uh you do have pain um you're in pain you're feeling uncomfortable um maybe it triggered the depression or anxiety like you were talking about so how do you do that um how have you done that Yeah, um, thank you for that question. Actually, it reminds me a lot of a question I got on my podcast. Um, I started a grad school femme touring podcast, providing advice to students of color. Follow (laughs) Yvette. Yeah, like advice. Grad school femme touring. Yes. And, um, And someone actually asked me a question about like, oh, I'm interested in applying to grad school, but I've got a chronic illness. Like, how do you recommend I navigate that? Should I share it in my essays or should I share it in my interviews? Should I not say anything? And I, I mean, in short, what I told her is that it's a very personal decision that um, you don't necessarily have to share in the application or interview process, but I do recommend sharing and advocating and like getting documentation so that you can request accommodations. Cause that's one thing that I didn't, I think it's it's taken me such a long time to come to terms with acknowledging and admitting that I have a chronic illness. It felt so, I always felt like, oh, I just have stomach issues, but no, like I don't have something serious. I think, oh, it's not like I have a terminal illness. And so um, I always never felt like uh, I deserved accommodations. So in a grad school, I, I never, you know, reached out, even though I did see a few specialists, I never like tried to get documentation for anything like that. And I wish I would have. And I, and, and that's the thing. A lot of folks don't realize that if you go to your uh, the disabled student center, there are accommodations that you can get, not just for chronic illness, but also like say uh, you're a parent, you're a pregnant student. Uh, you may need accommodations too, and and certain spaces will provide you with that. So that's like the one thing. Well, I'll just say like in my in my experience, uh, last year my symptoms were so bad that I decided to uh, talk to HR and ask what were my options for requesting accommodations, and like could I request accommodations, and if so, what would it look like? And so there were um, a couple of things that were presented to me. They told me. I could request to telecommute in the mornings uh, and then come into the office uh, once my symptoms calm down. Uh, um, and I would do that like Monday through Friday since I'm sick every day. The other thing they said, because at that point I was really sick and calling in sick where like I couldn't function at least twice a month. And so they said, oh, you could also get um, apply for FMLA, uh, Family Medical Leave Act. And you could take that time. Obviously, it's like unpaid time. If you don't have like sick or vacation time, you could take that time. It'll be unpaid time, but they can't, your employer can't use it against you and fire you for that reason for calling in sick too much. And so I decided, um, and there were other things like maybe work remote uh, one day a week, you know, because there are some, some days are harder than others. Like Mondays for me are really hard. 
because on the weekends is where my schedule is not as consistent. And so my eating sometimes changes. I'm not eating the exact same meals at the exact same time. And if I mess with my schedule and my routine, then my stomach acts up. So Mondays are hard. So those were my options. I decided to have um, my gastroenterologist fill out some paperwork for me. Um, and then I presented it to HR. And then I had a meeting with my boss, with my supervisor to discuss, to figure out a plan of what would work best for me to still get accommodations, but also do my work. And so we decided to just, um, for me to telecommute in the morning. So in, in other words, I'm doing remote work in the mornings from 8 to 10, 10.30. And then after that, I had to work. So I'm usually at work around 10.30 a.m., latest 11, uh, if I really need it. But most of the time, I get there at 10.30. And, um, and it's worked fine. My students know that my office hours are 1 to 4 p.m., so they don't ever come see me in the mornings. Uh, and then staff meetings are usually before my office hours anyway. So it's worked out fine and it's helped out tremendously. It's been, again, a life changer for me to be able to just, when I feel sick, be home, not worry about other people watching me when I'm feeling terrible. And then like let my symptoms calm down and then go to work when I'm feeling better. I'm in a better mood. I'm pain free or, or have less pain. It's, it's helped out a lot. I wish, I wish that I would have, Asked for a similar kind of accommodation in grad school where I could, um, you know, I know, I know that there's, it's more complicated in grad school because it's not like an eight to five, you know, there are events at all hours of the day. And that still happens to me too. I still get people who ask me, Hey, can you come to this thing at 9am? And I, I, tr I try, unless it's like a big, big thing, I try to see if either, either I say no, or I, if they can move it a little later. Uh, if it's something like just a meeting with someone and I usually don't even have to say anything I don't tell them if they don't know me very well I just say I'm not available at the time are you available at this other time and if they do know me then then I will mention it like hey you know I'm not here in the mornings but I can come in at 10 30 at 11 at noon one whatever it is so that's how I've been navigating it and I highly recommend figuring out some sort of accommodation that works best for anyone who is navigating academia as an undergrad, grad student, junior professor, or on the tenure track. You gotta, you gotta find a way to accommodate, you know, what your condition, otherwise it's just gonna, you're just gonna get sicker and it's gonna affect your ability to, 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 to what's the word, to function. Yeah, and I think, yeah, thank you for sharing everything that you've had to do and it's, unfair that these accommodations that you need that you have had to be proactive and do this kind of on your own just to get what you um need in order to um do what you need to do um and i think especially when we think about um how productivity is just um privileged in academia at the cost of our physical health, our mental health. And, um, and I think it's hard to um, challenge that when you're just not well and yeah. you're, you're challenging the, that high productivity at any cost. And it's just, it's not healthy um, yeah. in so much of what's expected of us in academia. So 
And I know that was also part of your motivation for not seeking a tenure track job. Yes. Um, Because now you do have some flexibility or you're not expected to work on weekends or Mm -hmm. um, in the evenings. And because I know you've said your body just can't handle it. Yeah. So you've just had to really prioritize that for yourself. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing. I feel like there's just so much more that we can go into. So that's why I, I know we need a part even three. then it yeah. was too long. I know, like I, I went on and on. So I, I actually want to transition so that I can hear from you, Ceci, so that our listeners can just get an update on what you've been up to. How are you? What has your healing process been like? Where are you at right now? Yeah, I think so. The update on my uh, alopecia. So that was what the original podcast, um, the first episode, the first part that we did, I focused a lot on that. And at that time, I was just starting uh, therapy. And now um, the update for my alopecia. And for those of who don't know, it's an autoimmune illness where um, your immune system attacks your own um, body, which is, that's what an autoimmune illness is. But for alopecia, it attacks your hair follicles. So uh, some people lose um, just patches of hair, which is um, alopecia areata, which is what I had. And sometimes it progresses to um, alopecia totalis, which is when all of your body hair everywhere falls out. And I remember at the time I was so scared that that was going to happen to me. And I remember because I had a huge, like just a huge chunk um, that came out in the shower, just all at once, all in one day. And I thought, Oh, it's just going to happen. Like I'm going to lose on my hair. And, you know, on the one hand, it's just, well, it's just hair. And there's, um, lots of people, lots of, uh, women who just either, um, just rock a bald head or they wear wigs, you know, and it, that, if that happened, it would have been fine. I would have adjusted obviously, but, um, I think because my alopecia, alopecia was triggered um, with um, trauma and specifically at that time, the loss of my parents' family home. And I was so scared and worried that my family, my parents and my brothers um, were going to be homeless, that they didn't have anywhere to go. There was no money. Um, and it also triggered all of these other wounds, unresolved childhood wounds that I had. Uh, and it just all, uh, I, it just all surfaced. And one way that it surfaced was through that alopecia and the hair loss. And I tried all the things. I <laughs> did a special, you know, autoimmune diet and I, um, started going to individual therapy. I did group therapy. I started going to yoga. I started running. Um, and one thing that I didn't realize at the time is that part of what was going on is, um, I didn't, I was in, um, a relationship at the time and I didn't recognize at the time that I wasn't being supported. Um, and I was listening to a podcast just recently Uh, with a psychologist and she was talking about relationships and she said the acronym ABC, which is what I really, I just really like the acronym. And she said um, the ABC of a healthy relationship is, you know, do you have acceptance? A, do you have belonging? B, do you have connection? C. And after 
months and months of therapy and reflecting back in a more objective way, I did not have any of those things. <laughs> and I thought I did, but I, I did it. I, I wasn't able to um, recognize unhealthy behaviors that I was accepting. I wasn't able to recognize red flags. Um, I think what it came down to really is that sense of unworthiness that I felt and which is why I accepted this mistreatment. Um, and I do think that I, I do wanna talk ab about that because I think um, for um, you know, high achieving women of color that, um, you know, I think of myself as a feminist, like I would never allow myself to be treated that this way um, but I did, and I do think it's important to talk about it because um, I don't believe in that culture of silence, <laughs> and and I do feel very um, strongly and passionately that I know I'm not the I'm not the only one, and if that's the situation for anyone who's listening, just to know that um, you do deserve to feel loved and safe and cherished and valued in your relationship um you do and there's no question about that and that's really the inner work that i've had to do and i'm still doing it where i am finding that um sense of um value and love within myself um so it's it's very complicated um but uh so then my hair did grow back <laughs> and and I, I I started working with um, a different therapist than the one that I mentioned on the first podcast and I have just been able to do uh, a lot of work with him um, specifically around um, inner child work um, really um understanding that um um people will only meet you as deeply as they've met themselves which is you know i've heard that so many times and it's almost kind of a cliche at this point but i think i'm really starting to integrate um what i knew on an intellectual level but really feeling that from within or um valuing myself in that way um i think this work has also been so important because uh, another thing i've also struggled with in terms of um trauma and intergenerational trauma is that um i have a very dysfunctional family and that has been one of the biggest sources of um pain and suffering for me really and I think um so healing from that healing from interdimensional trauma um I think kind of where I am now in my work is um reparenting myself and working on becoming my own loving inner parent and um healing um those old wounds which is a lot harder this is like the hardest work that i've ever done <laughs> and because i love books and you know we're intellectuals and we go and we discuss research at conferences i think um 
what I've struggled with, um, I remember when I took a group therapy class, uh, a group therapy uh, class I was taking on um, cognitive behavioral therapy, which actually I'm not, it is helpful, but for me, I am more comfortable with, um, I don't necessarily like the uh, prescriptive nature of like, they gave us like so many worksheets, which I mean, on, one, on the one hand are helpful, but on the other hand, I'm just like, after taking that class, I never look at this workbook again, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to apply it to your real life. Like, oh, you know, let's go through this worksheet of like, you know, A to Z and answer these questions very logically in this way. And, and I, I do think that's helpful, but, um, and I actually, I think the reason I liked that therapy group was um, I liked the therapist. I really liked her and I felt like I connected with her. And I think research shows that no matter what modality your therapist uses, what the indication, the best indication of outcome um, is actually the relationship with your therapist. Okay. So if anyone out there is just looking for someone, looking for a good fit, um, that's actually the most important factor of uh, how much you will benefit from the therapy no matter what modality they use so i'm actually not a fan of it just seems it seems too prescriptive for me um but i did like that therapist and one thing i did learn from one of the many worksheets (laughs) is she gave us a sheet called cognitive distortions and actually i want to write an essay about this because it's just kind of funny i'm just like yeah i know i'm kind of crazy and (laughs) i'm kind of messed up and yes i have all these cognitive distortions but um And then one of the cognitive distortions, it was listed, it said intellectualism. And I remember when I read that, I was like, no, like I intellectualized that, you know? (laughs) I'm like, what, how is that bad? You know, like what's wrong with reading books and thinking stuff, you know? (laughs) And then it it wasn't until, so that class ended because it was only a couple of weeks. And then only recently with my therapist where my my therapist where it's like we're now we're getting into doing um the inner child work and he's just and one example one thing he advised was you know he's like okay because we were talking about how when I was a kid I loved roller skates because my parents bought me this pair with like um I don't know what's fake leather pleather I don't know what it's called like with Mm -hmm. the it was like white pleather with like uh pink the wheels were like hot pink and the laces are pink. And I just thought it was just so amazing. I have, um, I feel my inner child feeling happy about that right now. Cause I just, Aww. I loved it. And I was telling my therapist about it. And I said, well, I think I want to get some rollerblades. And I said, because so what I've done since the alopecia and since, um, Oh, the depression, which I didn't even mention, but hopefully we'll talk about it on another podcast because then I had a depressive episode after the loss of my parents' house and I struggled so much. Um, It was, actually, I didn't even tell my friends really. Um, I don't think I even really told like you or other people, like Jigana Mother Work, just how bad it was, but it was really bad of like, I couldn't, um, I could barely get out of bed. Like I couldn't get up or it's just, it, it, I couldn't think like it, it was 
the um, most difficult time I've had emotionally, um, mentally in my life. Um, but I guess maybe another episode can talk just specifically more about mental health. Um, so we're talking about roller, roller skates and, and I told him, I was like, well, so one of the many things I've done since my depression and that alopecia, um, was I, 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 now I have started doing all this self care, which includes, um, journaling and, um, also dream work. So I write down all my dreams and then I talk about it with my therapist and, um, running, there's a running group I'm part of called running mummies. So, um, yoga, I do yoga at the YMCA, um, um, you know, eating differently, just trying to nurture more friendships. And, um, so there's a lot of things that I've done, but so I told my therapist, I was like, well, I, you know, I do yoga and running and, and I like doing those things and it's, um, communal and, and it's good. I feel my body feels good. And my therapist just, and my therapist said, well, when you get your roller skates, which I'm planning to do, um, he said, you know, you can just go to the park and just, you don't have to, it's not like, you know, when kids play, it's not like they're training to go do something. He's like, it's not like when you're running and you're training for your half marathon, which I'm doing. He said kids or like yoga where you just follow a certain series of whatever movements. And he said, you know, kids don't play like that. Kids just play. And, um, and then so I'm like, oh shit, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because I want to intellectualize it or I want to, you know, I would rather read a book about healing my inner child instead of (laughs) just going to get some roller skates and just doing that and just, letting go and having fun. And that's what I have struggled with as a survivor of trauma, where we actually have, or at least I do, I still have difficulty just letting go in the moment and enjoying and having Mm -hmm. fun. And it's just like, it's so simple, but it's not because (laughs) um, I've learned all of these other survival tactics, even survival tactics that seem healthy, like the intellectualism, right? But that's mm-hmm. kind of a, a block from doing that, that deeper emotional work. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that we've both also been doing without even maybe thinking about it is we've been reparenting ourselves. And I think that in the reparenting ourselves, we've been working through our traumas, our childhood traumas. And in some ways, I'm sure it's helping with autoimmune disease with chronic illness um, because, you know, when I get angry, when I get upset, I get so like, I, and this is like, I mean, you don't want to see me. I get so mad that I physically make myself sick. I get like, I cry to the point where I get a migraine. I get so like furious that I give myself a stomach ache or sometimes even cramping. It's wild. So when like, I don't, I try not to get to that point. I try to like deep breathe and, you know, and meditate and do whatever I need to do. And, you know, if I need to take a, you know, take, have some space when something is triggering me, I do because I don't want to get to that point where I make, I physically make myself sick just from how upset I'm feeling. Um, so then that reparenting stuff has been helpful and challenging, but also like I've noticed 
I've noticed it's helped not just my relationship with my son, but also my relationship with myself and with my body. Yeah, yeah. It, it triggers all of these deep emotions and um, the reactivity and where does that reactivity come from? And, and I know we have, um, or me and you Yvette have similar um, histories of abuse, right? Yeah. And when you're conditioned, when you're traumatized in this way, it takes so much work to um, heal and, you know, understand why we are having these intense mm -hmm. emotions and reactions. Um, I think we're getting close to wrapping up. So I just wanted to maybe ask you, Ceci, if there's anything else you want to share in terms of like, you know, if, if a listener is going through something similar, they're dealing with their own um, autoimmune disease or chronic illness or depression or anxiety, like what would you recommend for them? Because I know that like this is not a one size fits all type thing um, in terms of how we have approached our own um, our own illnesses and our own um, conditions. So what would you say to them? Um, I would say, I think maybe just where I was at the time when, at the time where I was just so deep in the depression and the fear and my hair falling out and could barely feel like I had even energy to get up from bed. I think looking back on it, it's, um, one of the most important things is to not, to try to have, even in those lowest moments, to have compassion for yourself and that you're human and it's, it's not about um, um, internalizing, further internalizing those feelings of unworthiness, like shaming yourself and blaming yourself, like, oh, just like get it together. Like, it's not that simple that it does require a lot of um, patience and understanding and empathy and compassion from yourself, but also others. And that um, whether that's through, you know, healthy relationships, healthy friendships, therapy, you know, whatever it is that you're not alone and that it's not that something's wrong with you. It's just that you need help, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, just like one more thing I want to share is, I guess um, I agree with this, with the self-compassion and also for both of us, there's been a lot of fear associated with our um, conditions. Uh, for me, it's like the fear of being in public spaces, the fear of traveling, the fear of being, you know, in the middle of doing something and all of a sudden I'm feeling unwell. And I think it's been really transformative for me to I used to want to be brave all the time but just to do things while afraid and to do things in, in baby steps and to not expect this huge substantial kind of like progress right away to just going along with what Sessie said to, to be patient so to, to be patient to be compassionate and it's okay to be afraid but to not let that kind of hold you back from taking a small step it doesn't have to be a big step if that small step is literally just getting out of bed congratulate yourself for that because that is a huge deal if you're depressed or if you're anxious if that baby step is 
still going out and doing the thing that makes you anxious, um, then, you know, that's already a win for you. So I guess that's, that's all I really want to share this time around. I know we can go on and on and on. There is so much more. And Ceci, I do think um, if you're up for it, it would be, it would be such a gift to have you share more about your depression uh, or the depressive episode that you went through. I, I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. I could, I'm, we're on Zoom so I can like see and hear and like feel your pain. And I think that I also don't believe in, in silence. And I think that it would be really powerful for other people to hear a little bit more about like how you navigated through that. Cause now you are, you are shining, you are thriving, you look amazing. You're like, you've got so much going on. Um, you, I'm just so excited for you. <laughs> Thank you uh, so that's, that's all I have to say for, for today. Okay. Thanks, Yvette. Um, thanks for listening. Hopefully we'll have a part three and um, we look forward to um, having you all on the next episode. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Please don't forget to follow us on social media at Chicana Motherwork on Instagram and Facebook and at Chicana Mothers on Twitter. And please rate our podcast so people like you can find us. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We want to thank Dr. Marta Gonzalez for giving us permission to use the music of Entre Mujeres Sirena for our intro and Vagabundo from Quetzal for our outro. To purchase our book, you can order it through the University of Arizona Press and you can find the link on our website at chicanamotherwork.com. If you want to book us for events, email us at chicanamotherwork at gmail.com or for any other question or to engage with us, we look forward to hearing from you.